the year 1986. The place, planet Earth. The jeans, really fucking tight. The sneakers, really fucking big. The riffs, really fucking fast. Come with us as we flip up our brims, patch our vests, dive like swimmers, and run like NASCARs to a time when the metal underground poked its head up and opened a sinkhole for society to fall in. This is Thrash. Welcome back. Thank you very much for joining us again at So Far So Pod So What, the Transatlantic State of the Art Speed Metal Podcast. This is Greg. And this is Jonathan here. Oh, yeah, it sounds like my voice is working too. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I don't have a bad morning mood, but I'm just not a fan of them. It's, it's hard. <laughs> ah! Yeah, this is the concept. You know it now. It's 1986, and it's not because I was born in 1986, but I like having been born in 1986. It's a bit of a special year. I think that's when the 80s like went berserk, in a sense, <laughs> because you, you often talk about this, like early 80s, a bit 70s still, early 70s, a bit 60s still, and so on, mm -hmm. you know, 1990, perhaps a bit 80s still. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I think the 80s kind of exploded in 86, and that's when things ended and new things began also. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of a bit of a turmoil. Uh, new wave of British heavy metal ended, some say, 83. What would you say? Um, I would say the moment. Oh, I can't, well, can't really say a moment. I don't know. It's, it's difficult to say. I would say that. I guess it depends on how you define new wave of British yeah, heavy metal. I mean, if it's a music it, genre, of course it didn't end. Of course it continued. No, but, of course But the actual end. trend or the actual uh, The actual wave of it. Movement, I think the, the wave, yeah. I would I'd say the movement ended once really no one got big, but like maybe Maiden. A, a couple bands. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there, I mean, there's different levels. I mean, Maiden was obviously the biggest. Uh, Saxon, they had some success in the early 80s, definitely here in America. Um, you know, uh, Def Leppard, I mean, they were definitely part of the new album, but oh, they yeah. they just, whew, as soon as they could, they flew that coop. They you did, know? right? So, they did, and that was before 83, for sure. Yeah, that was, yeah. You, well, you could argue maybe 83 was the year, you know. I, I think it might uh, have been. High and Dry still had some pretty... That's a great rock and stuff. That's a great record. high and dry is a great record. Probably my yeah. favorite, but I'm just discovering these cats now. Oh my god, the early. To be fair, I, I like Def Leppard up up until '92, really. But the best stuff is definitely the the. I mean, they they were they were rocking when they were rocking. They were rocking. High and dry has yeah. a has a great sound. A bit of a shankerisms in there, I think, as well. Like oh, songwriting oh, wise. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, they were definitely into UFO stuff like that. Interesting trade that happened between UK and Germany there for a bit. 
never really yeah. started, never occurred again. Like a musical right. trade, like the best, the best guitarist from Germany will come over and. Uh, well, I mean, Mike, Michael Schecker, Michael <laughs> Schecker probably scared people off a of German guitarist for <laughs> your favorite. You know, the guy, the, Michael yeah, I mean, sets this, his house on fire after yeah. running out of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, this guy, this German kid, he's great, but if you don't give him his cocaine, he's gonna burn his fucking house down. And probably yours too. <laughs> and probably yours. Yeah, I, I like to think that new wave of British heavy metal landed in '83 when when Eddie was killed in Dortmund. Hey, you know, what? I like that. Pretty good point for it to end, right? <laughs> I like that. I'll go with that. I'll co-sign. Yeah. Did they even call it that then? They did, right? That it was a thing then. It wasn't just something after the fact. Oh no, no. The new album was that was that was definitely a thing. I think that was actually that phrase was actually coined in Sounds magazine. I think nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. By Jeff Barton, I believe. So what else in rock 86? Quite a few interesting albums. Uh, I have a list, but uh, what what like comes to mind for you instantly when you hear 86? One of the first ones that comes to me is probably um, Somewhere in Time. If excluding the, the albums, you know, the topic today, Somewhere in time always just pops right in my head. Right. Very 86 album. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Dangerous Games, Alcatraz. Was it them too? And, uh, um, I don't Graham Bonnet? Yet. Was Graham Bonnet the singer on that one? It probably was. I Honestly, I don't I don't really know much about Alcatraz, except that those were the bands that Steve Vai and Yngwie went to <laughs> right, before exactly. they got huge. Yeah. <laughs> Judas Priest comes in with Turbo. Also very 86, right? I'll never like that record. That record like has has gotten like a uh a resurgence like the next generation of priest fans. Yeah, but honestly, I think it's just a song because the song is is brilliant and I don't think the new generation listen to the whole thing. I don't think they do. I, they just the put song, on the song and the song I love, but uh, I can see by your face facial expression that you're not into the song either. <laughs> you mean the song Turbo Lover? <laughs> yeah. I actually don't mind that, but I, like, I there's really, like really this, a song like a song like "Parental Guidance" sucks. Yeah, like wow. it's just like <laughs> that's reaching hard for that's reaching hard to be. Yeah, and also they were kind of like the they were kind of they were, and this is and this is why I think '86 is a year that Rash started to. I don't want to say take over yet, but like this is why it, it started to take a hold because when you get to a year like 86 you see the old guard start to move away mm -hmm. from Halen. the tenants van well van halen I mean, they, they were so they switched yeah you know they oh were, yeah i mean that record is probably awesome uh, you tell me because i haven't listened to it much but i uh, think it, i think it's a lot of the a lot of the hagar stuff is is maligned kind of wrongfully but uh, that record is not bad but they're also switching, right? They're also moving. They switch, right? They're moving. They're moving, but also to more, to more, I guess, localized to a metal thing. You have bands that were 
really the inspiration for the thrash movement, you know, or, or, or part of the inspiration, the first wave of bands like Maiden mm-hmm. and Priest and things like that. And here you have, and like you said, it takes time for a decade to really sink it to itself because they bleed over into the first few years of each new decade or subsequent decade. And so by 86, the eighties are the eighties full stop. The eighties are full bore. This is who we are. (laughs) This is what we, this is what we do. Yep. And, and here you have in 1986, you have bands like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. Iron Maiden puts out a record that is, is, completely soaked in reverb and synthesizers, which is very much glossy of the times. Yep. And then you have Judas Priest, who's doing Turbo and kind of experimenting with a little bit of the glam vibe, a little bit, as far as image is concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just black studs and leather anymore. You got K.K. Downing wearing his frigging goofy purple coat with his, you know, peroxide hair exploding off his head and his big sunglasses, which, as Fenris will attest big sunglasses are cool very band. good and very important but very like, important big sunglasses yeah cool band yeah that's what yes said. yes but here's the thing with that though is you lose the connectivity with the, the the grassroots audience and so once you take that step away from the grassroots they look for the next thing to they grab on to thing enter thrash enter thrash and there's some other weird shit too, actually, in '86. That's uh, going towards already towards death metal. Uh, yeah, like, uh, morbid visions, sepultura. Morbid visions. That's right, sepultura. Um, uh, the original slaughter from Canada. The Strapato record. I think that came out in '86. Um, Russian roulette. Except. <laughs> well, that's that's, that's not that, that's not thrash, but uh, that's not thrash, but it's definitely. I think it's a good accept record, but um. Crimson Glory, Crimson Glory. It's uh, a few yeah. of them, that, as we mentioned. We're gonna go all trash, but uh, I'm just I'm just looking at how many cool albums that came out in in the I guess more traditional genres. You have Eat Them and Smile as well. Oh, that, that record's great. You have Tesla, Mechanical Resonance. I love that record too. Uh, so, I mean, it's a pretty good year actually. I'm gonna say '86. You could say that this is think '86 maybe going downwards. Like the the late '80s are generally less revered in rock and hard rock than the early '80s. Right. And I agree with that in general, but I must say 86 is kind of a, is a cool tipping point there. Of course, you got the final countdown. Not my favorite mm-hmm. record, but I'm very happy to hear <laughs> that Eric Invatain thinks it's yeah. all good stuff. All killer, no filler. It was nice to hear That's that. That's right. That's cool. I, you could say that this might have been the year that cemented the 80s as the heavy metal decade. I guess, you know? yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. it's like, um, it became maybe big, uh, um, what's that word, uh, commercially as well at this point. I'm not sure. I think Aramaic oh, well, was I declining, think... though, with the Summer in Time was a bit tough for the general market compared to yeah. to uh, Power Slave, I think. But I still think it did well, but I think it's, they started to decline with that album commercially. I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, they started to... Uh, they were... Um... This, it was phase, well, I guess depending on how you look at it, it, was, it could be either phase two or phase three of the band at that point. They're starting to become much more polished at that point. Yep. You know? And then uh, just the last few mentions here outside of the main genre. Uh, we got <coughs> Oh, yeah. That's right. And honestly, that you could, and I was going to bring them up, you could, early Voivod definitely. Trashy? I mean, it, it's definitely. I would never consider them a thrash band, but when people talk about the first three Th- records I mean, thrashers in, like in the thrash genre, all thrashes. Oh like yeah. Boyfriend. Oh no. I I would say that they're 
they're aggressive and, and punky and angular enough to really kind of, I'm comfortable lumping them in with the, with the thrash scene because I mean, that was really who they played with at the time as well too. I mean, they, they toured with Slayer early on, you know, they covered chemical warfare, Oh really? you know? Yeah. And um, so I would, I, early Voivod, I'm comfortable calling them thrash, even though I think it is more than that. I'm, I'm okay with that, you know, for sure. Absolutely, yep. and and yes, in '86 they had the roar album. And, and then, they have a and they have a song on it called "Thrashing Rage" too. Uh, and then of course Queensryche, Rage for Order, another good one. Uh, I think uh, I might. I'm confusing the early ones a bit because I still no, 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 that's uh, a good record. They they look goofy as hell. Is that but the, the one music with the walking awesome. the shadows on? Uh, yeah, I believe it is. I yeah, I think it is. Yeah, and that's an amazing song. And then my last final non-thrash mention, many this year, but uh, Candlemas, Epicus, Dumicus, Metallicus. Ooh, that's uh, that's a big one. And that's, that's not very '86, one. is it? Overall, not like the look of it, the sound of it. It's not super '86, no. but the, because the bands, the bands that were keeping the beats per minute lower, were kind of. Out of, I don't want to say out of fashion. It was rebellious like, to do at that time. Right? It was, yeah, because the 80s were all about, you know, the the methamphetamines and the cocaines. The mask guys didn't even smoke dope, I think. I think they were just, you know, I think they just, I think they just drank wine. I, every time I hear, see interviews from Leif, it just says, uh, you know, I drank, drank wine, you yep, know. Yeah, Leif, Leif said also that they were like, they were freaks in Upplands Vesby because we still talk about the Upplands Vesby guitar sound. And that's like yeah. fast, uh, precise, <coughs> melodic, uh, good vibrato, uh, and mm-hmm. definitely fast. Uh, and so he said like, yeah, we were, we were friends with all those guys. We liked them. They liked us. But uh, no one really got why we played the things we played. <laughs> and we didn't even get it. Yeah. We just knew that that's what we wanted to do. And kept that's doing what they it. wanted to do. Couldn't that's find all you got to do. Couldn't find a singer. So the first guy, I actually saw them with him now. Last time I saw. Yeah, he's in the band now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is he, you won. Yeah, you won. I saw yeah. him do the entirety of Nightfall and then uh, um, other songs. But anyway, he didn't really want to be in the band when he joined. It was more like he, that's right. He, he just helped out. Yeah. Messiah was the guy that actually wanted like he found the band and like I'm gonna sing with you guys yeah <laughs> it just turns up like and he was really young too I think he was only like 19 or 20 when he joined the as band as tall as he's wide like he comes in there <laughs> square man right. the, the mad monk <laughs> funny looking sure. guy great singer yeah oh, yeah so that's uh, yeah, that's my background. I think it's an interesting year, thrash aside. Oh yeah, I mean, but obviously you it's c- time we move towards thrash, so that we can move further and further back towards what this podcast is about. Yes, it's all part of the uh, the, the vast fabric of uh, harder edged music of the year. Again, you could say that this is the year that maybe really locked in this decade as being just the heavy metal decade. I mean, there was really heavy metal was starting to become 
well, not starting to become, but had become big business. And really, it again, wins. once you get to the above ground, the people who are underground start to look for new things. And then ultimately enough people do that. And then that too becomes big business or the next step in the business uh, model of uh, metal, mm -hmm. which has happened in 1986. I mean, there's, there's bands. Thrash is not really just a, a localized thing anymore. It is a full-blown global, I don't want to say phenomenon, but a full-blown global presence on the music scene. Um, you have, obviously, we have the big four. We can't talk about this without mentioning them. Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer. Anthrax, Anthrax didn't get an album out this year, right? Anthrax did not have an album out in 86. They had one in 85, spreading the disease. Um, but, you know, the, you can't can't go about, without mentioning those bands. You know, you have also on the West Coast, you have uh, you have Exodus, Lest We Forget Them. Um, and also on the West Coast, the next generation of bands are starting to kind of uh, get signed, I believe, at this point in this year. I think Legacy, who would then be renamed Testament. Well, they got recent... They got signed, uh, I believe, the day after Cliff Burton passed away. That was when they auditioned for Megaforce. So, 86, they got signed. You have bands like Violence and... Um, That's Rob Flynn's old band, right? With, Rob Flynn's uh, old band. And also... Phil Demo. Phil Demo, yeah. Yeah, Phil Demo. Um, lots of great bands on the West Coast. And obviously, on the, on the East Coast, you have, in addition to Anthrax, you have stuff like Overkill and Nuclear Assault and... Oh, they also um, released an album in 86. That was also on that list. I didn't mention it because it's thrash. Uh, uh, Overkill or Nuclear no, nu Assault? Nuclear Assault. Okay, was that... Okay, I think that would have been uh, probably been the first EP, I think, or something Oh, like just that. an EP then. Maybe, right. maybe. I'm, I'm not, not really super sure familiar, but uh, I think it could be a good band to check out. Oh, I, I think uh, the, the Handle With Care record is one of my favorite thrash records of all time. That came out in, I think, 89, though. So this but, one from 86 is, is called Game Over and has an awesome cover art. The cover art oh, is yeah, fucking classic. <laughs> I think it was classic Ed Repka thrash. Ah, it's Ed Repka. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you recall, listener, that's the PCLs dude. That's right, yes. But this is um, the Game Over is so clean. Of course, it's it is thrash, so it's colorful, but it's kind of clean. You know, it looks yes, awesome, I think. But it's got one of the weakest guitar tones I've ever heard oh, in heavy so, metal. Is that so? Yes. They got, <laughs> I guess, allegedly they got in the studio, and, and the engineer was like, no, you got to turn the distortion down so we get a, a, a clearer sound. And in certain spots, <laughs> it works, but when they try and do crunchy stuff, there's just... There's nothing there. It's it's almost it's almost like it feels like it's just a step above clean guitar. So like a standalone riff comes and it's like spunk spunk It's like it should be but it's like it doesn't work. Doesn't work, but the songs are good though. And Hang the Pope is on that one too, I think. Yeah, so that's a good one. When we came when we came up with this, I thought it was like I think it's probably just going to be 1986 as title, mm -hmm. simple as that. But in my head, it was something that you can now either sign off on or um, add on to. Uh, 1986, the year of thrash metal. I I will sign on that. I'll go sign on that. 
Yeah. And also, I, I do want to give a shout out. While we're doing this, um, there there was, came to our attention that the uh, Metallicast also did a uh, kind of an 86 es- expose on uh, on metal and thrash. And so uh, definitely give that a, uh, a look as well if you're looking to uh, dig deeper into uh, thrash metal or metal in, in the year 1986. Uh, hopefully between um, our episode and theirs, you could get a really fucking good idea of uh, what the scene represented at that time. And, and hopefully you'll uh, you'll dig into some some bands that maybe you weren't too familiar with. So yeah, this is, that's what this is all about. We just want mm-hmm. to talk about the scene and, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, turn some new listeners on to some new things. So I guess the bigger bands that were kind of representative of the global uh, fabric and we'd already mentioned Voivod earlier, but in Canada there was bands like Razor and Sacrifice and obviously Voivod. And then also Cro-Mags. Oh, Cro-Mags are probably, I consider them more of like a crossover kind of hardcore kind of thing, which is actually, that's that's a big part of the, the thrash metal story as well, too. Hmm. You know, bands like DRI, right. um, you know, and Cro-Mags and, and, and things like that. I mean, those those bands definitely influenced metal, and I think metal had a reciprocal influence on on those hardcore bands and that obviously the, the crossover thing, I mean, that still exists today. So that's you, that was a in, big thing. In our neighboring town to the north, Uppsala, there uh-huh. was a huge movement of that. Uh, FKU was the big one. Oh, like, I've heard of them. Yeah, I've heard of them. Okay. A lot of people have said it's the best band they've seen live, like the absolute best live band. I haven't really? seen them. I never really followed the crossover thing, but I think it, appeal, it appeals to me a bit now. The idea of some that. of the, some of the bands uh, like um, some of the I guess one of the drawbacks of the crossover thing is some of the bands get a little silly with it. I think over here we call it pizza thrash. Pizza thrash. I was just gonna yeah. say. Yeah. Municipal <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, waste is the last like uh, last in line, I guess. Yeah. Or first, yeah well, first they line, they were the on ones who kind of they were the ones that kind of restarted that whole thing, and so uh-huh. I didn't. I was okay with them doing it, but then once you get to other bands and three or four five, six bands kind of doing the same, let's get fucked up, and all songs Pizza about smoking fresh. weed. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like okay, all right. Like, can, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. Like, go back, to, go back to writing songs about nuclear war or something, you know? But like, yeah. oh, unless lest we forget Suicidal Tendencies, too. I mean, that's obviously another big band and crossover thing over here, too. Exactly. But um, obviously, in, and then in Germany as well, too, we have bands like Creator, Sodom, Destruction. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to those guys, that... I think we laid out the map. Absolutely. We, we start at the, we start big and also start at the top. Just having mentioned Metallicast, I think this is where we start. Yes, we're going to cover a few records that we feel are really indicative of um, what took the scene or what helped take the scene to the next level, both at a mainstream level and kind of build up the underground behind it while it was going into that mainstream level. And obviously, like Jonathan said, you can't start anywhere but the top and 1986 brought us Master of Puppets by Metallica
Sheffield wrist in full effect. This, I mean, it's this record has been talked about ad nauseum, and I guess you know uh, we're going to continue uh, the uh, the nauseum on this because it really it doesn't, in my opinion, it's it's worthy of any conversation that anyone ever wants to have about it because it's that fucking good, and it's uh, uh, not even argue, to me it's not even arguable. It's one of the most important metal records of all time, and. If I may be so bold, I think it's. I think it might be my favorite heavy metal record of all yeah, time. You mentioned it's a good, it's a good, it's a good solid pick and. Yeah. Yeah, goosebumps uh, from that intro as yes. per usual. I love that. That's right. And that intro is, I mean, although they kind of did a similar, similar thing on Ride the Lightning, Ride the Light uh, Master of Puppets was a, a further. It's it, it. This is the kind of thing that makes bands special the special band special yeah is it metallica they push their sound both more mainstream and less mainstream on master of puppets yeah. i mean radio at that time or really ever is never looking to play six to eight minute long songs and the majority of the master of puppets record is in that time frame yep but I think to counter the inaccessibility of their song structure, the melodic content of the song structure is what made it more accessible. Yeah. Very symphonic and very awesome. I love that. Yes. Very classical melody and harmony guitars just out the ass i mean it, it's just brilliantly composed but to to offset that there are still just the pummeling jackhammer rhythms and and thrashier tempos you know there's still songs like battery there's still damage incorporated i mean metallica did not you know i think this record is heavier than the, the, the prior two records of theirs and but Definitely, because yeah. because of that because they brought the the audience to them the audience then brought them to the next level which brought them to a bigger bigger spectrum as far as as, as where they can display their talents which was you know tours with Ozzy Osbourne yep. you know yeah and then which, of course like going into the whole getting even progier with uh, injustice maybe perhaps a little bit over their own heads on that one. Yeah, like, uh, yeah it's possible. I, I can see that happen after this record. I mean, yeah, uh, it's uh, always been confirmed. It's been said by Lars that uh, Getty Lee was the desired producer for Master that Puppets. Would, so that's that would have been a, something. A, a prog mind, like how yeah. how can we be more than everyone else? Let's get Getty in here and let's just freak out. You know, at that point, I think Lars had, had took some drum lessons. And I think it, at that point, also Kirk Hammett started taking lessons with Joe Satriani too. So they were definitely looking to level up their game. I thought you were going to say at that point Lars had took some cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm I sure. Think, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure he did that too. I think so. <laughs> His but drumming yeah, on that was, record is good. Is oh, very I, I, good I, he, he he plays. He plays what needs to be played. I can't imagine hearing drums of it's any so other fat. kind on that it's record. so fat and decisive on this record. It's like, perfect. It's heavy, not, sounding heavy, too. Like really there's, no, 
There's no wheat snack on this no record. No wheat snack. And like they, I was going to say, the intro was, uh, I think I heard it when I was 13 or something, and that was exactly what I wanted to hear. Like that. You want to talk about layering, big on impact. Layering up, and then he, he does that kind of, instead of power chords, he do, he do, he's doing chords with the third in it. Like, you know, yeah. the Orion Riff type chords. Another song yeah. on the record. Like, and with the... Mm-hmm. Uh, which is it's something I've like, never heard in Maiden because it's it's more dissonant. He's using yeah. the minor harmonic scale, with, you know, with the higher seventh, kind of the English scale yeah. for that. It's like, a, riff. it's like a more of a suspenseful chord. Yeah. You know? And the riff itself yeah. is uh, very cool, kind of hard to play. It's good, the, the verse. Oh, it's almost like it's. I can't He Hatfield has a weird sense of timing. Yeah, I lose track. That puts. That puts pauses, like slight pauses and slight holds in very, very weird spots and riffs like that. Yeah. That's, that it, if you break it down, like it, a lot of people, probably myself included, we think we play those riffs right. Yeah. But then when you hear like the zeroed out, isolated tracks online, you realize, no, I'm not playing it right. Yeah. And it's not even it's not even a matter of not even playing I mean the notes. I'm playing the right notes, but as far as like the actual timing and the rhythm, like there's he just does weird things, weird little just accents that just is enough to just make you realize no I'm not playing this properly. I would recommend on YouTube if anyone wants to play it right. Uh, the art of guitar is a dude that is is a me- very mellow dude, and he's very precise on his Metallica knowledge. Some Megadeth there as well, and he will show you how you should actually play the riff if you are inclined to know. Like most of the time, I don't even want to know. <laughs> Keep playing it wrong and be happy, <laughs> you know. I kind of like the fact that a lot of these riffs scared me off when I was a kid, and. I like the fact that I'm still, I still have them on that pedestal because then I will never ever run out of something to shoot for. That's true. You know. That's true. So if I, I ever if I'm if I ever think I'm good enough, I never will be. I think we said that before. It's still true. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Still uh, true. Let's uh, cap off the Metallica segment here. Yeah. Because I thought we'd just go in and, and look at them as. Uh, thrash thrash metallic of 86 right because to me they're yeah. generally a heavy metal band really overall they are like a pretty hard right. heavy metal band but uh, this riff has to be in the mix uh, here we go let's see if i remember it what time spot it should be on here it's actually a weird intro too i don't know if you can hear it via meat cliff burton's little intro here yeah i can hear it damage yep Also, like, here is another example of they're progging out a bit. Yeah. Already. You know, they're kids at this point. Mm-hmm. 20-something. 22. Well, they're, I mean, they lost something special when they lost him. I mean, he was... Yep. He obviously had something... He was more advanced up here musically, I think, than the other guys were at the time. And then, of course... The main riff in this one is really cool, but the riff I wanted to check out is... I think it's here. I think I... Yeah, here we go. 
So clean. I think this could be a cliff rip as well, the actual rip. And then that hanging. Oh, yeah. That's very flash to me anyway. And he sings on it too. He managed to get a verse in on this. <laughs> Amazing. You know just where we come from. <laughs> There's a reason why. I mean, this record is so revered. I mean, this was uh, a lightning bolt moment for a lot of people. You know, I mean, for a lot of people that went to go see Ozzy's Ultimate Sin Tour in 1986 and was conditioned and used to, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, we'll say orthodox heavy metal, you know, the first wave of traditional heavy metal, hearing a band playing elements of that traditional heavy metal, but then just completely just jacking it up through the roof on steroids and speed and, you know, like, it's just like, it had to have just, it, 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 well, it, I'm not even surmising or guessing, it did. It hit people like a ton of bricks. Yeah. You know, and and that's why this was... Still does. It still does. Hello. I, I, oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Heard from a guy you that know, runs a music shop that all the kids are playing Master Puppets again now. Oh, because of Stranger Things, of course, because of that. Yeah, that's, but also that's great, though. I mean, if you would have put, let's say, uh, uh, the Four Horsemen was in an earlier season of that series, the kids didn't play that all over the place. So it's still the strength of that riff, you know. Oh yeah, it's just absolutely undeniable force of riff. Yeah, absolutely, and that's and that's again is it one of the best riffs ever. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's I will not argue that. But again, this is why everything, all the really, if you look at the most impactful music, a lot of it is centered around power, and it's it's a fucking megaton of power. This whole record, and you know, this was a this was the the claw that this was again the claw that came up from the underground and just started pulling at people. Yeah, you know, and honestly, if you think about it, it it, it kind of makes sense because they were pulling people down while using those people to pull themselves up higher, you know. And yeah. so, I think I li- I like that that um I like that that imagery of of pulling down other people and almost replacing themselves because they're about to hit the next level, which. I think that that's great because it's almost like it's 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 almost like it's it's like breeding. It's like rebreeding, you yeah. know. Right. You know, for every death, for every death, another birth. Exactly. You know? So another sorrow, another death, another breath. Another breath. That's right. <laughs> like another that's breath. Right. That's right. No remorse is one. It's probably my favorite track on Get 'Em All Together with Four. That's Horsemen. a great one. Yeah. Cannibal great Corpse, one. great cover. Absolutely. Attack! <laughs> so for the next one in i have a small, so the next one that kind of that. that's a good segue because uh right behind you know people who were coming into the underground looking for the next thing you know because obviously once something becomes cool or once something becomes big it becomes less cool and a lot of the nature of a lot of people in the underground is to turn away from that so we're going to be looking for the next thing what's the next heaviest thing what's darker what's darker what's What's faster? What's more evil? And Slayer was waiting there for these people 
with a little record called Rain in Blood. Have an anecdote for that one because I remember the first time I heard this record. Actually, I saw them live with the Maiden. It was Iron Maiden Slayer and Entombed was my first show that I went to. Ah, oh, that's right. I remember you telling me about that. <laughs> that's that's insanity, amazing. Right? Insane lineup. Yeah. I wasn't ready. I didn't even register Entombed. It sounded like right. For like thirty <laughs> minutes, I didn't get it at all. And Slayer, I got like South of Heaven intro. I could understand, but most of it was just you know also kind of like not doing doing grove grove, but maybe tuka tuka right. But my my friend, who I kind of developed my music taste together with, still a very good friend of mine. He he was always pushing a bit more. He wanted to introduce, so he was like. Not too much later, I think later that summer, he had bought Raining Blood. And he was like, yeah, listen to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he puts on, puts on Angel of Death. It's like, I immediately get like a, a bad mood. Like, super fast hi This is not going to end well. No. And then... Yeah. <laughs> like, and then what the fuck happens? Auschwitz. <laughs> like, what is this? This is yeah. terror. This is terror, Chris. Yeah. What are you doing? I, mean, I, yeah. was, I was genuinely like, uh, genuinely uh, scared of music. It only happened once in my life. It was this one. different kind of power it's a different kind of power from matt from metallica I because in you ease and you know? t- and you touch yeah and you touched on it because sometimes timing is everything and when i first heard angel of death it wasn't i don't even think it was the rain and blood version i think it was a live version that i don't know if it was decade actually no it might have been like the a compilation that the first Ozfest put out uh, in 95 or 96 and you know I was I think 13 or 14 when that came out and so at that point you know I'm I'm in school and I'm just starting to learn about things like the Holocaust and obviously when you're I mean it's I'm not going to say that the impact or, or the, the horror of that has diminished with age but more so when you're you know of you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, you hear about something like that for the first time, and it's unfathomable. Very central you know, the in the level. curriculum, at least over here. Like, yeah. You know, elementary oh, it school, is, that's yeah. something they, they always bring yeah. up, you know. You have yeah, survivors come and, and talk. And yeah. Oh, that. yeah. So, that's... So oh, very, yeah. They, yeah. It's very... Um, heavy. Yeah, heavy. Yeah, very visceral, very heavy. But that's the thing, though. Like, it's more so when you're younger and you realize, holy shit, there's people capable of this in this world. Like, that's fucked up and then you hear and so you you know you you hear like certain terms register as like these big ominous dark evil forces of power and like you said 
a word like Auschwitz is like you want to you want to you want to you want to turn a room silent, you yeah. know, exactly. say that word. And yeah. then I hear this band Slayer, and the very fucking first word I hear them say is Auschwitz. Yeah. I was like, same thing. I was like, kind of like recoiled a little bit. I was like, yeah. holy yeah, fuck! Was, like, what is? What is going on here? <laughs> like, and then those powerful and, riffs. Like, I introduced yeah. the segment with uh, one of my favorite riff, riffs ever, the breakdown riff, which is clearly. Like, oh yeah, it's also sick. Those feels are sick. Yeah. Yeah. Very uncomfortable because I didn't. I wasn't into death metal then, so I wasn't used to that kind of atonal sickness. Atonal. That's right. Sickness That's right. in that riff, and yeah, I was I was feeling almost ill, almost ill to the stomach first time I heard the song, and right. obviously it's one of the best songs ever to me now today. Oh, the, the whole ever. record, and I will argue, it's the hardest song ever. Like even the death metal stuff, nothing can touch this song. I think it's the hardest song ever ever released to me. It's the meanest. I mean, it's, the meanest. And hardest. It's very mean. Very mean. Very tough. <laughs> it's very I mean, mean. It's, yeah. Yeah, crew. And also, what makes it, and also just because every like that old cliche, every action has an equal and opposite reaction to counteract the the grandiosity and the the hugeness of scope of a record like Master of Puppets. There you have Slayer, who is like, okay, this record is done in twenty seven minutes. Yeah, you know, and like I'm because I remember the first time I heard it. I borrowed it from someone in freshman year of high school, and I had I borrowed the CD. I had it in my discman, and I didn't have any records at that point. Like even the shortest records I had were Kiss and Van Halen records, you know, from the seventies, and even those were like thirty, Three. thirty-five minutes, yeah. maybe at best. Yep. And very so, I never ever a full record never ever played. In its entirety, on during the bus ride, during the bus ride home for me, exactly, yeah. and and but the the record was over before I even got off the bus, and I was just like, first I thought like I, my I ran out of batteries on my discman. I thought the batter the, the discman oh, yeah, died, okay, but yeah, then yeah, I realized, and I and I realized no, it's full power. This thing is just just burned through my brain like like. Like X X lax through a digestive system, you know, like it just like just. I remember just an old killed me. An old uh, rebuttal to that is that a word rebuttal when you kind of rebuttal rebuttal rebuttal. That's the word. I remember yeah. one from King. I think it was that someone said someone noted it's very short, but he said, "Well, it's just as many verses, choruses, songs, riffs. Yeah, it's just faster." It's just faster. Yeah, that's and right. Of it's all the ten things songs. He said, yeah. Of all the things he have said, that one actually makes a hell lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> for once yeah, no it is <laughs> like, it, it really is. is a full complete record it's not it a, it's not a like you don't get less music it's just yeah. quicker here's the thing they have and that's another thing that makes this record special is that they whereas Metallica they have five to eight minute long songs all over Master of Puppets but never ever drags to me it feels like they're they're more quote conventionally timed songs uh, rain can... and blood there's so much packed into those songs that they actually for some reason they, it they feel like 
they're longer than they actually are, and but in a good way. So it's almost like they are the opposite of Metallica. True. True. They are the opposite of Rain and Blood is the opposite of Master of Puppets in, in almost every way. You know, like you don't you, when you see the track list of Rain and Blood, you're seeing song lengths that are under two minutes, and you're just like, what the fuck? That that song? There's like, it doesn't. It, it seems like it's at least three minutes long. You know, but like no, they're just. There's just it's so action packed that you just you feel like you're you're getting bombarded and it just but no you're just getting killed uh, killed faster and you don't even know it so it's like it's a it's it's ninja lethal it's ninja you know? lethal and death metal yeah. kind of creeping up there songs like uh, Ultra of Sacrifice oh absolutely death metal is coming absolutely. in uh, uh, necrophobic. Is it necrophobic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Necrophobic. necrophobic. I mean, yeah. And also, you have the, the 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 song. I mean, if not Angel of Death, the other memorable song is the title. Well, not not really a title track, but Raining Blood. You know, I mean, that riff. I mean, that's. Yeah, well, obviously, yeah. I mean, even with the, I, when I played iconic. Now, when I restarted yeah. Barbus, we were quite, you know, just playing our songs. We didn't do any covers, but of course, we had to rip out Raining Blood once. <laughs> it's not even genre appropriate, it's, it's, but it's, it's just like. Iconic. You know, if you end on a, and you're on a whammy bar and you're doing a bit of mm-hmm. whammy bar feedback, it's like you can just look at the drummer and kind of. Remind me with my. You know, it's like. And then. It just—it's a natural thing, and it's—and it's even kind of crossed over into uh, uh, mainstream society. You know, it was on South Park when they uh, when they were (laughs) when they were trying to kill hippies. They 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 put on they put on Slayer to do it, but um, from a lacerated sky. I remember yeah, looking I mean, that word up when Tor- it came did you ever, Did you ever hear the Tori Amos? Tori Amos yeah, did a version heard, of that yeah. song. That's, Even back then, that's, actually, we, we listened to that. Too. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. But yeah, so that's that's Rain and Blood. That's Rain and I mean, Blood. That's, I mean, I think if we talked about it any longer, we wouldn't be doing the uh, the album justice. We, I that's think true. we might have talked... We might have... We might have <laughs> might have talked about it longer than the actual Let, album is already. One, let's pick one favorite each that is not Rain and Blood, it's not Angel of Death, and it's not uh, Postmortem. Necrophobic. That's easy. I, I would go for just for today. I would say piece by piece. I find that one actually that one is that, almost like um, a bit funny to me, which I kind of like because it kind of eases up the on mood. my wall your head. Exactly <laughs> on my wall your head is my favorite line. It's just like I see that picture of some loser who's been killed and his head is on the wall. It's like he can't get more degrading than that. It's like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, tongue out on the wall. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's you can't go wrong with that. Necrophobic, I chose just because it's like I think it's the fastest song on the record. It's the fastest song on the record, so that yeah. goes with the yeah. Greg Mo. And I will yeah. also mention a, a lyric bit, or rather, a vocal phrasing that is very fun to me. It's a shout out to our network mate uh, Joe McLean on uh, in the lap of the pods because he, mm-hmm. he he brought this up. It's in I think it's in criminally insane when Tom just goes completely off time to get the words in. I have only <laughs> just begun to take your fucking life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, that's so yeah, like, that's right. God, I get all that words in here. Take your fucking lives. <laughs> so, I mean, that's great. Yeah, I'm a, Angel of Death will never be a laughing matter. Still to no. this day, like it's like kind absolutely of like, nothing about it is a joke. Yeah, I've seen it live nothing many about times. It, it also kills yeah. live. Absolutely. Oh kills yeah. Live. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's raining blood. 
that's Rain and Blood, and I guess uh, we'll go next. Uh, the next record we're going to discuss is uh, we're going to hop the pond over to uh, Germany and uh, dress uh, Pleasure to Kill by uh, Creator. Creator. And now at this point, as you can tell, we're getting further and further, and we're getting closer and closer to the next generation of extreme metal, which is, you know, death metal. You know, this is definitely a, a pivotal record as far as pushing the genre, you know, closer to that next extreme. Yes. You know, I mentioned absolutely. Jürgen from Grave a fair bit in, on this show, one of my mm-hmm. favorite growlers. And, um, oh, yeah. He, I think that the shirt I've seen him rock the most is his Pleasure to Kill shirt. Oh, yeah. That's the one he brings out. Huge fan. It's so extreme. And because obviously they're, they're so young. Um, obviously, as far as their musicianship is concerned, it's still not very tight, but there's just like an unbridled aggression. some broken english yep. as i stumble to find english to say the words <laughs> i'm going to cri- i'm going to cri- criticize millie petrosa's broken english but, like but i think that to me that adds to like the the uh the intenseness of it the fact that you know that there's to me there's an extremity of like we're trying we're not we're, we want to be so brutal that we want to sing in a language that that isn't one we really speak in and so like I don't think I would ever say in a song, like, a coffin is open for me. But, like, in the song Pleasure to Kill, like, Millie goes, A coffin is open for me! And, like, yeah. it sounds so heavy. <laughs> like, every time uh, I, I, like like I, I hear his... Almost like Yeah, Oh, yeah. Them. Oh, yeah. Anyway, every time I hear him say... Is open for me. Like I get, like I get the chills. It just yeah. sounds so intense. And obviously, they're they're tempo wise. You know, they were they were going a hundred miles per hour, and, and it's just it's just so so brutal, so barbaric. You know, I would say it's barbaric. Barbaric.
Also, I would say on the broken English, to me it adds a vibe of like dirty Europe, which I like. Like dirty <laughs> Europe is like you got your, you got your way elder brother's old clothes on because your yeah. parents can't afford anything else. It's almost right. like you know you're uh, like a European scum kind of sound, which I <laughs> really like. You know, I really dig it, and and they, I mean, they are really like from the the most poor area of Germany as well. Right. So they're but like, they, but it's almost like a, know, it's almost like a gypsy, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, I remember you saying that. But that's the thing, though, that there's a the, there's a commonality with, with with Millie to like um to like a. a a James Hetfield, or, or maybe not so yeah, much Downey, James Hetfield, like but Metallica. Downey, Downey was a bit of a shithole, right? Hetfield's hometown. I, I don't know for certain. I I think, um, I don't know, L.A. is kind of weird. It, L.A. definitely has some shitty areas for sure. I'm not, I don't know for him specifically. I meant just as far as, like, there's a commonality as far as, like, the the reach. Like, obviously, Millie had aspirations beyond, you know, just being... I mean, obviously, Creator, they are a thrash metal band again. But, you know, in the 90s, they definitely went off into different worlds and, and tried to... Yeah, and, tried the, to be, and the Rama and that kind of stuff. Yeah, they tried to be... They tried to expand. Obviously, Millie is into different styles of music and stuff like that. So I, you could tell because they kind of had a growth, musically speaking, that really saw impressive leaps and bounds from record to record up until... I would say they probably kind of, as far as technical ability, they probably peaked at like maybe Coma Souls or Extreme Aggression, as far as like them being like a really pr- proficient metal band, you know, musically speaking. Yep. You know, I mean, they were always tempo wise, they were kind of ahead of the game. I mean, they were definitely, the German bands, I think, definitely helped push that tempo. Ahead of themselves almost. Ahead on of themselves. This if, on, on Pledge to Kill for sure. But I think by. By the next record, Terrible Certainty, and then certainly by Extreme Aggression and uh, and Coma of Souls, they were they were not sloppy anymore. Um, this is the last. I mean, and not to say like this record is just like completely, you know, it's kind of as sloppy as I want it to be. I guess you know. Yes, it's, it's like, sloppy. Uh, it's cool. sloppy. You know what it is? It's like um, it's like playing something right. So playing something right technically in a way but it's also not right be like if <laughs> i guess it's technically wrong or james, james hatfield right. james hatfield playing james hatfield playing his second take where uh-huh. it's not quite clean and maybe it's off a little bit the uh-huh. take he yeah. would throw out the yeah. german bands at that point would just Keep, leave kept it. it in Keep yeah, it in. kept yeah. it in. <laughs> and i would say on creator they're fucking good at these uh simple vocal hooks like Miller yeah. being like quite a limited singer, you have all those. Oh, Along very the much career, so. You have so many. Like I went on last day of metal camp in Slovenia, a festival. I, uh-huh. I was just drinking and walking around like, it's time to raise <laughs> the flag <laughs> of hate for a day. Because <laughs> it's just great. Or like, extreme aggression. <laughs> Enemy of God. That's way later. Another <laughs> oh, great yeah. hook. Impossible brutality. <laughs> Just thinking about you walking around shrieking like Millie yeah, Petros in a raincoat, in a raincoat and and and, and swimming trunks, with like a, a sex on the beach, a blurry sex on the beach drink in my head. That was good stuff. Sounds like 
Sounds like a hell of a time. <laughs> seen him live a few times too. Uh, it's been generally very good. Uh, it's, just, like, it's so simple. The, the hooks. It's not even melodies. It's just shouting cool things yeah. that sound thrashy, yeah. and he's good at those thrashy word combinations, like extreme aggression. It's yeah, like, uh, it doesn't it works. really mean much. It means it works. What it says, I guess. <laughs> what it it's almost you could almost say it's like you could almost say it's a uh, like um, an oxymoron. Like, well, not, not an oxymoron, redundant, because like, aggression is probably already pretty extreme. Right. So well, this is like, extreme aggression. And then impossible like saying, It's like saying, <laughs> oh, like, I'm, I'm like. Impossibly brutal. <laughs> I'm super, super sleepy, exhausted. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. like, it's the same thing, you know, extreme aggression, you know, but, but whatever. I, I think that um, Millie, he looked, I, I think he derived influence uh, from the, uh, Definitely the, uh, the the West Coast bands, um, you know, the Bay Area style, because I, I feel like that those bands sure. were definitely more technical than, say, like the Canadian bands or the uh, or the New York bands. The, the the Bay Area bands, the West Coast bands, they seem to be more interested, in, largely because of, you know, who was the vanguard of that scene, Metallica. I think Millie, he really pushed himself to to improve... As same, and he, you listen to, I mean, man, not, another thing that doesn't get brought up enough, I feel like when people talk about these bands of this era is just how fast the turnover was as far as like how they improved. Like you listen to, um, you know, the first Creator record, and then you listen to the second one, you listen to the third one. And, and well, I guess them all ride. Kill them all into ride. That's a huge. Leap. Yeah, that's a huge jump, and yeah. even more so from ride to uh, to uh, to master. But like you listen to those early creator records, first four. I mean, the the, the leaps they take between records is just no. like it's like they did nothing but play gigs and practice. It sounds like you know. I mean, that's really the only way that shit happens is if you're practicing and playing a lot. Yeah, you know, and they, you know, and they they, you know, and Millie. He's great, but for the sake of this conversation, pleasure to kill him is just him attacking people savagely with a claw hammer, yep, you know, and is. shrieking like a like a like a fucking twisted banshee, just, like only he and, can. And I would add yes. like the influence, like uh, for example, big band out there, especially on the internet, especially as of late, is at the gates. And Thomas Lindbergh's vocal style to me is clearly. Yeah, uh, oh, all the way because you know that percent kind of thing. Yeah. You know that kind of yeah. sits right here, right up here. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, like uh, a thing I would mention is I read it that in Close Up magazine, which was which was the main like it was our I guess Metal Hammer or so or so mm -hmm. here in Sweden. And I remember reading an interview early two thousand sometimes, and uh, he defended metalcore, like uh, a, a genre I'm not into, probably never going to be into, but. I really enjoyed him defending it. It felt very down to earth, and he was like, "Come on, guys, it's the thrash of today. It's cool. It's cool. It's killer." Like well, all the, the other thing, guys like, would be slagging it off, and they would be like, uh, looking back. I uh, am a fan of that mentality because yeah. I, I, I will always side with, I guess, for lack of a better term, rock and roll. And rock and roll, the freshest and and the most cutting edge. And I guess with metal too, it's always with the youth. You know, the yeah. next generation is always going to come and it's always going to bring something else with it and it's always going to be different. And whether I like it or not, 
I always have to be in favor of because that's just the cycle of life. And if and I am not going to get, I mean, you can't fight that. If you fight that, you just look like an old dickhead. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I mean, there's there's some good retro stuff out there, but I would say retro, retro never hits the same way. Of course, it of course doesn't. not. Of course, of it course doesn't. not. It's impossible. It's been it's done. It's impossible. It's a it's it's a, a nice tribute. It's a maybe you can't see the bands live that uh, certain bands have uh, like created a retro sound based on. So maybe that's cool. You can now see that sound live. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you want more songs. Maybe it was a short face or something like that. And sure, we want more songs. Uh, I guess a band like Evil. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool that they did that. Pretty much yeah. trying to copy the Master Puppet sound. Really, that's what I hear anyway. Yeah. Yeah, they, cool. well, they were one of the better bands doing that for sure. Yeah, but of course you're not going to get that big, you know. Of course no, you're not going to get no. much bigger than they did. No, you can only break down that wall once, you know. Yep. But all you could, but but like Millie said, you know, metalcore was thrash for some new kid. Yep. You know, like it, every every generation deserves to have their thing. And very, very down to earth. Again, approach. I, I like a it. lot of that metalcore stuff I did not like at all. Yeah, I, th- but, I don't think it's our genre here at so far. So no, of what the not metalcore podcast. <laughs> it's not, it's not but here's the thing though like i said before every action has an equal and opposite reaction that stuff is as important because it will the people who want to rebel against it are going to come up with something else and and that might be awesome and it might not exist if it wasn't for them finding something that they fucking hated you know yeah. <laughs> like, and i mean uh, you know? we just talked about rain and blood there's a breakdown bottom Bottom, 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 bottom. Yeah. Look at that! Look at that! Look at that! Love that! But and that's kind that's of right. you know take that and just uh, cut up the rhythm a bit, and you have metalcore. Yeah, exactly. Trig- exactly. Trigger the bass drum, cut up the rhythm. Yeah. It's metalcore. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's, it's all right there. It, it was very big. Uh, it, I mean, it was huge over here for a handful of years, and I and, and I was right in the middle of that scene because just because that's just how. Age wise, that's how yeah. it was over yeah. here. Yeah. That's how it was, you know, and and you know, and so, but it was it was everywhere, and it was inspiring. Like I said, because it showed me where I didn't want to go, and it, and that's that might be more important than knowing where you want to go, right? Right. Because if you find if you know where you don't want to go, that well, then how really you start to nav- navigate. Really, yeah. See, I can't say I hated all of it. I liked, you know, I liked. A kill switch engage record. I liked a, a a couple, a few unearth songs. I was actually on a record label that was run by Trevor from Unearth. So I was that's how I kind of ended up in that scene, even though mm. my band really wasn't like one of those kind of bands. But like, you know, I it had elements of things I liked, but it ran out of my thing was it just ran out of room really fast. Like it got really tiresome real quick for me. Probably so that was my issue with it. Dynamics. Would be problem, and to some extent, melodic content would be problem. You know, like uh, wouldn't be strong enough for me coming in from bands like Maiden and Megadeth. It was just right. not dynamic and melodic enough. It wasn't songy enough for my taste. It, it became very formulaic very very fast. Yeah, Killswitch. I, I heard. I remember them. It ties into this whole conversation because I heard them in um, in a record shop first time in Copenhagen. I was there with mm-hmm. my family, and I heard it. And at first, I thought like this. I love this production. I'm gonna look into this, mm-hmm. but then. I spend some time in the hard rock shelf. I keep listening to it, playing in the background. Something throws me off already then. And I didn't have a genre specification. I just heard right. like fat production. So something mm-hmm. threw me off. And I actually ended up buying my first uh, Priest record and my first Creator 
record. That's uh, right. I remember you telling uh, me that. On, on yeah, kind of right. on, a, on a whim. Yeah. So I just bought those because they looked more like yep. the opposite of what was going wrong with the music in the speakers. Like I heard the music, it's like it's somehow derailing. And I saw those records. They looked what I needed to yeah. escape that, funnily enough. I mean, that basically... That verifies everything I just said. Yeah, you know, yeah. it went, it it pushed you the opposite direction. Yeah, you know, and I did, which didn't is, even know the the priest and the creator stuff either. It just looked opposite of what was going there you wrong. Go. <laughs> it's very interesting. There you go, and then and and that's that's all the battle. That's that's all the difference right there. And death live in yeah. LA, I bought as well. Well, that's <laughs> there. You go. There's another doorway yeah, right there. Three good bands to get introduced to at once. Yeah. Know? But metalcore, metalcore got skewed here in America. We kind of have two generations of metalcore. The metalcore that I did like was a lot, generally from the, the '90s. Um, Earth Crisis. The metalcore. Well, that was almost hardcore, I guess. That that well, that's definitely hardcore. I but I mean, they definitely have a, they have like a, they have a lot of Pantera kind of toughness to it. I was into bands like Integrity or All Out War, which are you know they definitely have a. I mean, a lot of that metalcore is very Slayer influenced, and I think a lot of the hardcore element of their sound is basically da -da, in, da -da, in da -da, look and, and, da -da. and chugging and toughness. Yeah, exactly. So, but then when we got into the 21st century, metalcore kind of got co-opted by the by the formula of aggressive versus clean sung choruses, yeah, yeah, which is like that was not really I again except for except for the one the second kill switch engage album that one i actually did enjoy for some reason except for that and i really didn't it didn't work for me i was i'm definitely much more akin to the the metalcore that was put out in the 90s which was a lot heavier and a lot tougher and a lot scarier too some of these guys are fucking <laughs> some of these dudes were were uh were, were tough dudes for actually, sure now yeah. that you say that there's another topic that i didn't think about beforehand but that's the kind of the moshing you know the crowd demeanors 86 yeah. feels like a mushers type year doesn't it like that's when you start like can we do more than just headbang can we hit each other well, yeah <laughs> like, well, i think that's the impact of the crossover coming into the sound you know mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the people a lot of the hardcore and punk folks that started to get into the fact and the velocity at the fact that, that you know metal bands are starting to play fast they got into metal bands and i think they brought punk and hardcore show behavior to metal gigs and next thing you know, metal gigs have stage diving. Metal gigs have you know circle pits and moshing and stuff like that. So that's another reason you know it it became a culture. I actually like that bigger, stuff. A bigger culture. Did you engage in that? I actually quite liked it in my teens. I had fun um, like uh, in circle pits and stuff, but it was always kind of friendly. I never like yeah. I think once I lost a contact lens. <laughs> that was the worst that ever happened. Like someone hit me in the eye, I lose my contact. Didn't really have a lot of opportunity to mosh like that because of the the era when you know, like i mean have i circle pitted yeah absolutely but it really wasn't until i was in my my 20s because there wasn't really music in abundance around anymore that necessitated that type of behavior a lot of the shows i was going to were kind of hardcore shows and that's like the fucking people basically just fist fighting in the mosh pit and <laughs> yeah. like like that to me is like yeah whatever yeah probably you know, that's fine Maybe I'm a pussy, but I was more than okay just to hang out by the bar and watch the bands and not get my nose broken. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, that that did. I mean, like I, I mean, I eventually, like I said, I ended up playing in bands that that played those types of shows. So I mean, yeah, eventually I did end up. You know, if, if, if there was no stage, I would end up playing on the floor. So yeah, eventually I would end up getting 
kicked in the face or With fucking your, punched while in the playing fa- your guitar while playing <laughs> yes just because the shows get out of hand and people are moshing and i'm headbanging and i don't know where i'm yeah. i'm not paying attention and these people are swinging their fists in their feet and they're not paying attention and so i'm basically just getting yeah. all sorts of fucked up uh, and jacked up in the face by people with kicks but like <laughs> i think know, for me it was like i would go in for not for i didn't like that kind of wall of death and that kind of stuff it's too much but for just a normal pit just a bit of pushing and pulling people up that was fun and then when I got a bit oh, yeah. tired, I would retract and just headbang because that yes. was still the main thing to do, right? Long hair. Basically, you save that long the, hair for a reason. Like, it's yes. going to flap it. <laughs> it's going yes, to flap. Exactly. Basically, moshing to me is a young man's game, and I'm uh, I'm aged out. Yeah, it's not going to happen now. That's kind of <laughs> ridiculous. If we started moshing, like here comes the forty-year-olds. Yeah, you know, I was luckily. Here we come, kids. <laughs> the, the thrash revival. That was kind of perpetuated by municipal waste in like 2005. Um, I was able to be young enough to enjoy some of that, so I did. I did end up getting a uh, some time in, in some legit thrash metal circle pits, and that was a lot of fun. You know, I'm I've I, I feel like it would have been uncouth for me to engage on dives since I was you know probably maybe you know there's a lot of skinny people and I'm about two twenty. Like last thing I want to do is <laughs> fucking. Yeah, last thing I want to do is fucking fall on someone that's just having a good time and break their fucking neck or whatever just because I'm trying to be cool stage dive. Or they avoid you and you just face plant. Or oh yeah, or even worse, they fucking see me coming and and I just (laughs) I fall I fucking fall face first and you know break ribs and puncture a lung and look like a basically just look like an idiot. So (laughs) I basically image. I like the yeah. They see me coming. (laughs) Yeah, me there. See me come. Look up and just go. Yeah, yeah yeah so yeah i was more than happy just to keep my moshing on the ground and and circle pit and stuff like that but yeah like night in 86 that's definitely another year where the the crossover culture in addition to the that, that that's why it's such a huge year because thrash goes it goes in in multiple directions you know it goes up to get bigger it goes back down to get more extreme and then there's a side element a side street coming in from another genre that's Another kind genre. of per, that's that's entering it too. So it, this is really like a. I it's mean, already kind of a mixed genre to begin with. Yes, right? exactly. You know, punk, yes, heavy metal, it is. and then of course another genre comes along that is kind of extreme yeah. and, and fits it. So it's a, yeah. it's it's, um, it's an expression, and I mean, yeah, we talked about that quickly before we started. Like uh, there's a lot of Swedish examples in most genres. Thrash is a little bit um, less so a Swedish. Uh, genre and i think it could be because the o- uh, the only one <laughs> i mean i think it's because we're less of a melting pot you know than for example states that's could be that's that. fair but yeah, of course there's some bands but they never really made it you know but there are some classic thrash bands yeah uh, like ice age for example like you know an that's all, right yeah. all female thrash band that were actually really good and super big into megadeth i saw that interview and she had like a frame photo of her with um gar gar samuelson on yeah. the wall and like uh, and they could really fucking play had some manager had some manager problems yeah, and then label problems kind of lost it lost track of each yeah. other it's too bad because that would have been like an early example of a proper female all female thrash yeah band. no gimmicks yeah like no gimmicks, no gimmicks. Not, like look at that's, our tits that's kind of huge, that's none, huge. Of, none of that shit just you know just actually thrashing and being as involved in in the art form as one can be
that's another thing about thrash is that like it was the antithesis in ethos of of what mainstream metal is so basically if, if any you know I mean, it's pretty funny because like you know if you look at it from like a macro perspective i mean yeah why would you not want to see that but if any girl band came into the thrashing and was and was like a look at our tits band like they would not get respect at all like, like that's exactly like that's there were dudes in the metal scene that were look at our tits you know yeah look at, look at our pecs and that was yeah like, right <laughs> metallica rebelled against right you yeah know, but also i like I, I, moving up to I, yes I do like that there is that element of no, you have to be good. You cannot just whip your tits out and and we're gonna and we're gonna fall over you like like just a bunch of idiots. Oh. good you can't just be hot you have to be good you know it's a nerd <laughs> so element I, to it that's a nerd it is thing, right? it is know, definitely nerdy but a, i do think that in the end thing, you know like you have to yeah. you have to actually dig into this hone this craft it's not like yeah. just for show this is like something but you work no on. no po- no posers across the board if you're if you're a fucking poser in any way shape or form thrash was the genre that was going to weed your ass out doesn't matter if you're a guy girl whatever you know if you were going there and you weren't there for the music if you were there just to try and be cool if you were there just to try and rock the look if you were there to just be you know just try and get by being a a hot girl thrash band that was none of that shit was gonna fly you had to be good you had to really give a shit and you really had to support constantly you know, yeah. and that's still, and that really, that's, those are all still tenets of the underground to this day. You know, I, I, I still think that, you know, that female musicians in, in underground metal scenes are fucking, they have to earn it. They have to earn it. Can't just get by looking good. They have to be fucking good. Yeah. It's constantly a constant fight because even if you're not a sexist, but it's still like, there's so few of them. So of course you yes. look at them like an, uh, Anomaly in, in extreme yeah. metal. Like, can you do this? Because I've yeah. normally seen uh, people with balls do this. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, listen, it's don't get me wrong. I, it's I, just like, I'm much, sticks out. I'm no, no problems. I'm not adverse to, to watching uh, the fairer sex rip 
rip great metal. I've I've seen enough dudes doing it in my life, so it's yeah. definitely a nice change of pace for sure. But if if you're not good, if you suck, it doesn't mean shit. Which is an interesting segue because the next record we are going to cover is Darkness Descends by Dark Angel, who currently has a touring guitarist, uh, Gene Hoagland's wife. Oh, I believe cool. I knew she was yes. a player. Didn't know she was in this. Band. Yes, uh, she's uh, their main guitarist, one of the main songwriters, Jim Durkin. He can't do all of the touring, so for the you know some of the tours he can't do. Gene Hoagland's wife fills in. And if you are familiar with Dark Angel, you know this shit is not a joke. Like it's tough stuff. <laughs> it's fast. It is fast and there's a lot of riffs and it's fast and there's a lot of riffs. <laughs> you know? and, exactly. and this record Darkness Descends really probably even more so May, well, I don't know about more so, but maybe, you know, a little less than Pleasure to Kill is is also heavily responsible for what's coming up next with Death Metal. Because this record, it came out a month after Rain and Blood. And, you know, considering Rain and Blar was... Well, Rain and Blar. Rain and Blood was like, yeah, it was the the new benchmark for what was fast and what was extreme. Um, I mean that that bar, it didn't last for long because I mean, a song like "The Burning of Sodom" is faster than anything on Rain and Blood. Again, I'm not but saying rain blood is by any... much faster, isn't it? It's like no. After a while, it's just no. going to be one big note. If you Until get, you start, if you, get a you can't faster. get. I don't. You can't get faster unless you're, you know, starting to get into like blast beat territory. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's like, what really I meant with the, one big note, right? It almost yeah. gets meditative at that point. Like instead yeah. of uh, let's say moderately fast and then super yeah. fast, but then it becomes, yeah. you know, yeah. like exactly. black metal, and that's yeah. meditative again. So it goes yeah, it so fast that it becomes slow at that point. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, Death Angel is just fast. Well, Dark Angel. Dark We're Angel. talking about Dark Angel. Yeah, Dark keep, Angel. keep Death mixing Angel. those guys up, actually. Yeah. Well, it's easy. It's easy, too. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm not familiar with either that much. I listened to this yeah. record a bit uh, because you wanted it in here. Yeah. It's fast. Very fast. It's quite uh, oh. quite dark, dominant. Yes. Very, very, very. The production is is very grim, very raw. You know, it's definitely you can definitely tell they didn't have a, a huge budget. Oh, Combat Records. That was another label oh, that was doing it. It's on Combat. This is, yes, this came out on Combat Records. So that's another label we neglected to mention earlier. You know, along with the. And we mentioned them back in episode one. Yes, yes, we did. Along with the yeah, so along with the you know Metal Blade, Megaforce, Combat Records was definitely in on the. Uh, The American side of uh, having skin in the game for thrash cool metal and oh yeah makes, makes sense makes Perfect. me think of David Lee Roth I'm a combat hippie <laughs> combat. peace love peace no, what was it uh, 
they want peace, love, and understanding, but I think his was peace, love, and heavy arms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a combat that fucking guy. That <laughs> fucking guy. That fucking guy. Oh, my God. Eat him and smile. Eat him and smile. Great shit. So yeah, Darkness Descends. I mean, also you know, it's really the first foray. It's, this is the record that put Gene Hoagland on the map, who has obviously gone on to become, you know, a legendary drummer in the heavy metal scene. You know, I mean, I'm sure you nice probably crossing over into a bit of the metalcore territory with a band that I always enjoyed. That was uh, Strapping Young Lad as well. You consider them metalcore? No, no. I said almost crossing into that territory. Oh, oh okay. But yeah. No, I, I guess I, I don't consider them thrash either. Uh, I guess I consider them kind of industrial tinted uh, metal or something it's industrial i mean it's got it's got thrashy elements it's got some death metal elements definitely has an industrial element as well too um difficult to say they kind of crossed a few lines but i mean having gene hoagland was an asset the thing to say the an least. asset to say the least. <laughs> i mean to say yeah absolutely that was the thing that really got that band going uh, after the first record, which was just kind of a hodgepodge of demos and stuff like that, you know, I think Devin Townsend was really looking to. I think the analogy he used was he wanted to be to Fear Factory what Wasp was to Motley Crue. Oh. He said, because he said Wasp was like an uglier, heavier, dirtier version of, of what Motley Crue was doing at the time. And he goes, he wanted to do that be that to to fear factory which if you if you look at it from that perspective makes perfect sense he was definitely i mean way faster you know than fear factory more specific uh specifically the city album which is one of my favorite records of all time yeah but um but obviously gene hogan huge part of that you know darkness descends i mean there's even a rumor that you know metallica might have stolen uh some of the uh something from one from the song darkness descends oh, there's yeah, a true. certain i've heard it it's true yeah but i mean it's yeah it's that kind of theft that is is so much of a an improvement upon it yeah that it's not theft anymore right you know they took an idea and they just completed it like someone i had, mean it's, someone kind it's of had pr- to at that point it's probably played a little better by gene hoagland but <laughs> Yeah, he's well, a Lars bit, is on his full game on that record, but if you listen to it true. live today, of course it's not. No, uh, it's, definitely today not. Uh, like he's yeah. just stumbling through, and then just Hetfield's guitar is super high in the mix, so it sounds good yes. anyway. But yeah. uh, but uh, on the record, it's, 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 it's well played. Yeah. Also, another thing that, that Dark Angel had on this record too is that they kind of had. Um, it was weird. They had kind of a Metallica approach. The Slayer intensity because Dark Angel they had a lot of really long songs not so much on this record they did have an eight minute song on this record but I mean you know going into uh, the album after this Leave Scars and then the album after that Time Does Not Heal you know they were in you know five to nine minute territory with the with their songs which just you know you know with but without the metallica dynamics i mean they were just dark angel was just cutting your throat for nine minutes i mean it just oh here's a riff here's a riff oh here's a chorus we're going to repeat that i mean the, the math involved in some of these dark angel songs isn't is uh intense and, and as a matter of fact on that last record they did time does not heal it was advertised with something to the effect of um nine songs 60 minutes 
246 riffs or something like that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, Gene Hoagland, he, yeah. he, that, that was his idea. He counted the, there's like, I guess, 246 different riffs on this record, which is insane, you know? It's a ton of riffs. A ton of riffs. But, yeah, yeah, so I think the Dark Angel thing was in this, I think, Dark, well, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not guessing, I know for a fact, Dark Angel was a huge influence on Cannibal Corpse. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense because Cannibal Corpse has a lot of really, really fast material that is also very technical, you know? So they, they cram a lot of stuff in there in a very short period of time, whereas Dark Angel had the ability to cram stuff in, a lot of stuff in a short period of time, but they also had the ability to, uh, to stretch it out as well, too. Like a prolonged intensity. Yeah, absolutely. In a way. Absolutely. Uh, and Gene Hoagland, I mean, he's he's kind of underrated. He's he's one of the principal songwriters in Dark Angel. He wasn't even on the first record, but he joined the band in time yeah, for the yeah, second I record. I figure very late. Yeah. Very late. He, like, he actually plays guitar and writes on that, too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. My introduction to him was uh, via death. Yeah, oh, yeah. That was the first time mm -hmm. I heard him. Yeah. yeah. And the drums always, they stuck out to me. Like, you heard a song like uh, Zero Tolerance. It's like, mm, this groove, that's interesting. Yeah. Because it's, it's he's almost grooving like um, a different genre, but still very metal at the same time. It's a cool fusion of, of that. To show how good he is um, and how he's he's good to the point of th this level, him and Chuck Shoulder did not like each other. As a matter of fact, uh, Death and Dark Angel toured in, I believe, was not the support of this record. It was the support of the next record, Leave Scars, and I think it was Death Spiritual Healing. And... Death ended up leaving the tour because he got into, there was big disagreements with the Dark Angel crew. And so he did not like Dark wow. Angel and Gene Hoagland did not like Chuck Schuldner at all. But he was so good that when <laughs> Chuck wanted to do individual thought patterns, he was like, you know, we didn't get along, but that dude rules. And then and then, then they kind of squashed their, their problems or whatever. But I just thought it was funny that like, man, I didn't like, I, I didn't like that guy, but he, man, he's fucking good. You know, <laughs> and Chuck seemed to be very difficult with touring. Very temperamental. He would bail out the day before they were supposed to go to Europe. Yes. several times he would bail out, and someone would go to his house, all blinds closed. Yeah, like uh, ring the bell, no one opens, and then you hear like he's in there listening to Merciful Fate vacuuming. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I saw that story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. that's yeah. It's not coming out. Like, I, after knowing what I know, I don't think Dark Angel was the problem on that tour. By the way, this would be Troops of Doom off of Morbid Visions, Sepultura. So that was 1986, the year in metal and more specifically thrash. Thanks for tuning in. Now. Right now, you might be saying to yourself, wait a minute, wait, 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 it's 1986. These guys are a Megadeth podcast. Didn't they fucking 
miss an important album? Well, fear not. Because on the next episodes of So Far, So Pod, So What, we are going to deep dive into that inconspicuous by its absence 1986 album that was not mentioned as of yet. And I guess all I could say at this point is can you put a price on peace? See ya.